In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief discusses the U.S.-North Korea summit, the ongoing Mueller investigation, and the sudden death of Anthony Bourdain. Did he commit suicide, or was he suicided? He clearly had feared for his life, and, uh, you know, we have numerous whistleblowers and people who have gotten too close to the truth that have suffered a similar death, uh, including one of the primary witnesses of the Vince Foster trial. So this is typical of the deep state, and believe me, uh, Hillary Clinton and her goons are part of the deep state. This podcast is brought to you by House Carers. You know the feeling, that knot that materializes in your stomach as you drive away from your house to begin a two-week vacation. By the time you hit the highway, worries are running through your mind. Did I turn off the coffee pot? What if the house burns down? Well, thankfully, there's a cure for this same old panic attack. House sitting. If you don't have a neighbor to keep watch over your home while you're away, a house sitter can really help with your sanity. There's a company that can match you up with someone who will look after your home and, more importantly, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable. House Sitters has been securely matching homeowners with house sitters for nearly 20 years. And they have pet sitters, too. Find out more at clearbroadcast.com. That's clearbroadcast.com. Clearbroadcast.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. 
revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of her supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday and part three of my three-part series on the deep state. Hope you enjoyed parts one and two with Joseph Farrell and then Paul L. Williams, the co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam. We're going to discuss the deep state in action by looking at some recent developments in the news. The recent U.S.-North Korea summit, which took place in Singapore. President Trump met, of course, with North Korea's despot, Kim Jong-un. The DOJ's Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, released his findings on the FBI's performance during the Hillary Clinton email server investigation. And of course, we'll look at the recent death of Anthony Bourdain, the author, chef, and star of CNN's popular, perhaps only popular television show, Parts Unknown. Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service found at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel is a political scientist by training and speaks multiple foreign languages, which he uses in accessing information here and abroad. He specializes in helping readers understand the hidden agendas of those that secretly control both political parties and the U.S. government. Joel Skousen, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. It's good to be with you, despite all of the uh, rough talk between uh, Justin Trudeau and President Trump. <laughs> well, that's probably as good a place as any to uh, to jump in, the G7 meeting. To be quite honest, I'm not quite sure, you know, what all the fuss is about. I'm sure this is a storm that will blow over, as our former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney said. What did you make of, first of all, sort of set the table, what happened there? I mean, Trump seemed to be hurt that Justin Trudeau said, well, we're not going to be pushed around by the Americans. On the surface, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that except for the fact that Trudeau didn't let on at all in his personal conversations with Donald Trump that there was any dissatisfaction at all. Uh, and if you're going to take that kind of a, a cut at the president and accuse him, essentially, of what you've done, of pushing them around, which didn't happen uh, uh, directly, you know, Trump pushed back at the G7 summit on a wide range of, of trade issues. But, you know, he, he was shocked. Trump was shocked because he came away thinking he had a great relationship with uh, Trudeau because nothing negative came up. And then to be backstabbed by this uh, while he was on an airplane, uh, you know, really took Trump by surprise. Well, it's no secret. I'm no but fan. Trump, uh, Trudeau was not being honest with Trump, I think, during their, their personal meeting. Okay. Now, I'm, it's no secret. I'm no fan of, of uh, Trudeau. We call him the boy king up here. At least some of my <laughs> colleagues do. Uh, it's no secret that Trump is not a fan of these multilateral uh, organizations like the G7. Uh, he said that he was going there as a favor to Justin Trudeau. What do you make of that? I mean, what is the future of, of these trilateral or multilateral, I should say, multilateral international institutions going forward uh, during the Trump administration? Well, I really don't think they're going away. Uh, they're not going to be renegotiated in any significant way. And that's, uh, you know, Trump's... Uh, uh, attacking with tariffs uh, as kind of, uh, well, take this. If you're not going to renegotiate, we're going to attack on these tariffs. is really not a good move because um, obviously the uh, consumer pays the tariff uh, and not the country itself. 
But, um, you know, it really does, does damage trade. Now, I'm not in favor of the multilateral agreements because of the international nature of the organizations that bypass national sovereignty that are created in these uh, agreements. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, lowering tariffs and uh, providing, uh, uh, you know, some better free trade, uh, there's a positive there. The The unfortunate thing is these are not true free trade agreements. These are essentially favors to big corporations. And uh, there's also big union uh, statements in these that uh, force uh, union contracts on many of these corporations. And you don't need that for free trade. You don't need a thousand, two thousand pages to write a free trade agreement, but uh, and you certainly don't need the, inter- the multinational organizations that are created inside those. And that's the big problem that we face is the loss of national sovereignty through these agreements. I agree. Uh, that is why I am not a fan. But my sense is that the Trump with his tough rhetoric and so forth, what he's really trying to do is pry Canada away uh, from Mexico, and I don't know why Trudeau insists on thinking that he should be standing up for Mexico. I think we would be much better with a bilateral trade agreement with the United States. Uh, and then, you know, I think we'd probably get most favored status if we had a deal one on one. I think that's what Trump wants. He wants Mexico out of the deal. Well, you see, <clears throat> Trump doesn't realize that there was a, uh, a globalist uh, North American union that was part of, of NAFTA. That's where NAFTA was heading. It was part of a North American union. And the union didn't happen. There was a real backlash. It never happened like the EU. But that's where the original designers of NAFTA were heading. And so um, Trump is, is correct in wanting to separate out uh, relationships with Canada and Mexico. But Trudeau, being a globalist, uh, is going to be in favor of uh, backing Mexico because he basically wants to defend the agreement as part of their, you know, this is the EU of the Americas. Now, before Never we... Never come close to that, but that's what the intent was. Right, right, and that was scuttled. Uh, before we move over to Singapore, let, let people know how they can get a subscription to World Affairs Brief. Well, the World Affairs Brief is, uh, uh, there is a modest subscription of $48 a year or a dollar a week, essentially, uh, but people can get a free sample issue just by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. And it tells you how to do that if you just go to the website, worldaffairsbrief.com. All right. So over to Singapore and the uh, the um, highly anticipated summit between North Korea's uh, Stalinist dictator Kim Jong-un and uh, President Trump. Uh, I sense you're disappointed with how it all went down. Why? Well, as I said in the World Affairs Brief, Donald Trump wanted this to succeed too badly, meaning he was too anxious for it to succeed. And thus he, was a, he, he essentially gave away the farm there and got nothing in return except a paper promise of denuclearization at the end of the process. The problem is he actually gave away two things of substance, well, one thing of, of substance. He said that we will guarantee the security of the North Korean regime as part of the you know statement of uh, principles that they had. It isn't contingent. I mean, it's, it comes first. Denuclearization obviously is way down there, but guaranteeing the safety and security of the regime is right up front and personal, and uh, we have no business as the leader 
quote, leader of the free world, of defending the most tyrannical regime and making sure that they stay in power. I mean, we overthrew the apartheid government of South Africa through sanctions, wouldn't let up until they held free elections. What's wrong with demanding, as a condition of releasing sanctions, that you have a true free elections in, uh, in North Korea? But that wasn't even on the table. In fact, human rights was broached one time and then dismissed almost immediately. There was nothing in concrete that Trump got that he promised he was going to get, he was going to demand, that is, some concrete disarmament method to begin the talks. In fact, he said it had to be as a condition of holding the talks. He gave that up, and then it didn't even get out in the agreement of anything concrete. He, he, was, he was swayed away by small giveaways. Uh, when, he listed, when Trump listed, for example, the successes that he had in, uh, in leading up to this agreement... And so uh, Kim Jong-un gave up several easy things, in, I, in my estimation. One is the release of, of the hostages. Uh, you know, there were several Japanese abductees into North Korea, and those are going to be released. But those are easy. That doesn't um, undermine at all the dictatorship or his power structure or his military backing of that. He did give away a few token things that give the appearance of having military usefulness, and that is they blew up his entrance to his test site, but that had already been destroyed by three subsequent earthquakes and was of no use anymore, and so that was a throwaway. And then he gave a surprise gift to Donald Trump during the negotiations of, of saying that he was going to destroy one of his missile test sites. Well, he happens to have a dozen of them, and so that really isn't anything of significance to give one of them. In fact, he hasn't given the U.S. side a comprehensive list of all of the nuclear sites that they have, all the warhead storage facilities, all the missile storage areas, and has not agreed to allow American inspectors, not international, the Americans are demanding that American inspectors be part of that inspection team because the International Atomic uh, uh, Inspection Authority has really done a lot of bad things and uh, you know, skewed things in terms of Syria and making statements that aren't true, and they suspect that they would be protective of North Korea as well. And so really I don't see of anything of substance that North Korea has gained, but he's gained a tremendous amount of prestige, especially because Donald Trump tends to be subject to flattery and then to dish it out when it is totally unnecessary as part of the diplomatic process. He waxed eloquent in his video response to the summit about how wonderful it was that as a 26-year-old, he came in and took care of and took charge of this country. He treated it rather harshly, he said, but I won't say anything about that. Uh, you know, why not? I mean, this is nothing to praise someone about, that a 26-year-old, you come in and you kill your uncle and you kill several siblings in order to maintain power. I mean, what kind of compliment is that to be giving as an adjustment? as an excuse for good diplomacy. I I think you're right, and, and I, that is disappointing, because I think if the sanctions had continued, and I know he said that President Z had loosened them up somewhat, somewhat but every indication was that, that Kim Jong-un had lost the ability, such was the stranglehold, uh, um, on, you know, foreign capital coming in and so forth, that he was no longer able to bribe those around him with Mercedes Benz cars and jewelry. And this is how he buys his loyalty. He has to buy it. Uh, and his frontline soldiers that were, that were, um, 
uh, escaping. They were found to be in horrible conditions, so he couldn't even afford to feed his best soldiers. It seemed to me like if a little more persistence, maybe it might have taken another year or two, but it's possible that regime could have toppled. What do you think? No, I really don't think so, Richard, because China's there as the ultimate backup. They're not going to let the regime fall. Uh, uh, North Korea is a puppet state of China, and they will back it up financially and with military goods and foreign exchange. They've, they've been the ones that have been bypassing sanctions for years. Now, they have to be careful uh, not to be too obvious about it, but uh, I don't think that China would ever allow North Korea to fall, uh, either by coup or anything else. I mean, North Korea is a puppet state. Kim Jong-un is not in charge of that country. There are military leaders uh, that uh, answer to China, to China's leadership, that um, really do rule. Now, they let him think that he's ruling, and he does commit some assassinations, but uh, there are more powerful leaders than he is in, in North Korea. North Korea is, the, is being preserved as the trigger event for World War III, and that's never going away. And so I'm convinced that North Korea will never disarm. And uh, I think uh, Trump is... Uh, acting shamefully, frankly, for letting him be played in the way that former presidents, globalist presidents, have willingly been played, and that is to allow denuclearization to be at the end of the process. And uh, he keeps saying we're going to have some substance. Well, I don't think uh, the substance is really going to be there. They're going to, if he, he can be assuaged into signing this agreement, in fact, the U.S. wrote the agreement, without any demands for actual disarmament of any nuclear weapons as a condition of the agreement. Um, if they, you know, if he goes along with this and accepts as North Korea's uh, quid quo pro, you know, the dismantling of a missile test site uh, or the entrance to an already destroyed uh, nuclear test site, this is just not, does not bode well for good negotiation. All right. Well, uh, well, hopefully we'll find out very soon. Uh, Trump seems to uh, think... Let me point out one yes. other thing before we move on, Richard. This is the most important thing, is that Donald Trump has been convinced by the advisors surrounding them that Kim Jong-un has to have something in return for giving up his nuclear weapons. And that means, uh, you know, security for a regime, that basically no regime change, no military option would be on the table. That's got to be signed by the U.S., but you see, it's not an equal status. What what Trump should have responded to saying to Kim is uh, the benefit for your giving up your nuclear weapons is that we do not attack your military. That's the benefit. Right. In other words, that's the option. Uh, it is give up your nuclear weapons or your military will be attacked and removed from the face of the earth. It doesn't mean we attack your people. We don't attack Pyongyang. We don't attack civilian centers. But we will take out your military. That's the option. Forget about, you know, aid and trade. And, and Trump gave this video presentation of all these hotels on the beach in North Korea saying, look what you can be if you become a capitalist country. You know, this is very, very naive, you know, for Trump to uh, think that you can sell a communist on this. I mean, the Chinese do that, uh, but without giving up their communism. And Kim certainly wouldn't uh, give up his communism either. But he'll take the uh, aid in the trade. All right. So um, to the DOJ we go. And um, Michael Horowitz, the inspector general there, uh, has now concluded that FBI Director James Comey, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, acted improperly 
during the Obama administration uh, and their handling of the investigation into former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and her use of a private email server. Uh, does the inspector general, uh, I mean, where does it go from here? Does he have the power to recommend indictment? Yes, he can recommend, uh, but of course he doesn't have the power to do that. The major point that he's making is that Kami was totally insubordinate in violating the rules of procedure, uh, legal and otherwise, in the Department of Justice by uh, coming to a conclusion not to prosecute, which was exclusively the authority of the uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch. And Loretta Lynch showed that she was subservient to the FBI director by acquiescing to that without protesting that this is my decision. This is a big thing. Uh, in, uh, nobody would have been able to get away with this if we weren't dealing with the deep state. And it really shows that Loretta Wrench was subordinate to someone of the level of uh, FBI Director Comey. So when Comey was on uh, ABC News with George Stephanopoulos and Stephanopoulos asked Comey, if Attorney General Lynch had ordered you not to send the letter, would you have sent it? And he said, no, I believe in the chain of command. So where, where does that leave us? But he said in another interview, he said, at no time did I even consult with the attorney general about what, what I was going to do. And that was a prima facie admission that I went beyond my authority. He admitted that to Congress, but at no time did he ever consult or tell Loretta Lynch that he was going to announce what he announced. All right. So is Loretta Lynch's meeting on the tarmac with former President Bill Clinton in Phoenix, is that part, is that part of this report from Horowitz? It is, apparently. That it was found to be totally inappropriate, that there were hidden commitments made, which have not been made public, which were illegal, and a violation of the principles of, uh, of the Department of Justice. So there's a lot going on with that meeting in the tarmac. That's why I'm worried that it isn't being made public. Uh, you know, as we know, uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is still refusing to hand over to uh, Representative Nunez of the House Intelligence Committee the actual memo, unredacted. He wants it unredacted. I want the names of the insider mold that you had in the Trump campaign. And, uh, you know, they keep talking about this fellow Haskell that was, Haspel that was uh, supposedly the mole, but he was never inside the campaign. This was a throwout name that they put in there who had had contact with the campaign and tried to influence the campaign, but he was does not qualify as a spy. And I think, personally, Richard, that the reason that uh, Rosenstein is not handing over the name uh, to Representative Nunez is that that spy is still there. Oh, still really? In the White House. Fascinating. Yes. Fascinating. That's the only reason why they would keep this. Remember, Nunez has top secret clearance. He can see anything the Deputy Attorney General can see, and yet they won't show it to him. And that's got to be because the spy is still there. Would... Would uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions be aware of this? You know, something's really wrong with uh, with Sessions. You know, he came out and even praised Rosenstein as a man of high integrity, etc. I 
got a gut feeling that they've either got something on Sessions in some way he's neutered beyond this uh, having recused himself from the Russian investigation. He is just not going after the obvious things, um, you know, such as this, uh, you know, spy within the Trump campaign. Who who should he put in there at Department of Justice? Well, he really needs someone. I'm trying to think of the name. It just slipped my mind for the moment. But he was being um, he was an attorney uh, that was being proposed to come into the team, and the rest of the attorneys and Trumps didn't want him. And that was a true attack. Uh, the name has slipped my mind. Not Chris Christie. Pardon me. Not no, Chris no, no, Christie. No. 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 no, no. Um, He's on Fox News quite a bit, um, but um, Judge anyway, Napolitano. Sorry. Judge Napolitano. No. no? Okay. No, it's not Napolitano. It's uh, another guy that really is a straight shooter, and that's why I, th- I didn't think the rest of the attorneys wanted down there. Ah. So, w- what is your? Do you have a prediction on when the um, the special counsel will will wrap up uh, with with uh, Robert Mueller? I don't know if anybody really does. Um, it's, uh, they really don't have anything on the Russian collusion. That's why they're trying to make so much out of, uh, um, you know, other auxiliary issues, whether it's Paul Manafort or, uh, or others, uh, whose crimes were not related to the Russian intrusion whatsoever. They were, in fact, before they were members of the campaign, totally inappropriate. Uh, as Mark Levin made a point on his show a couple of weeks ago, he said, uh, you know, um, only uh, a U.S. attorney has the power to make these kinds of indictments outside of very narrow focus. And those U.S. attorneys require advice and consent by the Senate, and the president has to nominate them. So Rod Rosenstein cannot name Robert Mueller and gave him the broad powers that he has, the powers of a U.S. attorney, to basically pick and choose who he's going to prosecute and for what, uh, you know, without advice and consent of the Senate. So it's an unconstitutional process. Now, you know, Trump listens to Fox News. I can't imagine that he doesn't know this, but for some reason or another, Trump's attorneys aren't, uh, you know, making hay out of this as they should. You know, sometimes I think Trump is surrounded by wolves. There's nobody he can trust or turn to. Somebody said that if you want a friend in Washington, get yourself a dog. Great idea. I think Donald needs a dog. And once he and Melania get a dog, they'll want to make sure it's well-trained. And a good way to do that is to develop the dog's hidden intelligence. A woman named Adrienne Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. This is what allows our brain to learn new behaviors. Well, your dog has this same neuroplasticity. And with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. Realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com.
Com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We are bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, is here. Part three of our three part series on the deep state. All right, let's, um, let's move over to. Uh, Great Britain. And this is a fascinating story. Tommy Robinson, the former head of the English Defense League, jailed for contempt of court. There's been a virtual media blackout on this. There have been huge protests in one incident. I think the police had to sort of, you know, turn on their heels and run for fear of being throttled. Let's just set the stage. What is this all about? Tommy, who is Tommy Robinson and, and why is this story so important? Well, it's so important because <clears throat> the courts are muzzling the press. Basically, the court, has, and the issue is over um, grooming gangs, that is, Muslim um, sex slaves, essentially, that they have. And, and, you know, the media and all of the European Union is trying to preserve and keep people from knowing about Muslim-dominated rapes or other types of things. Well, this is an actual gang type of thing where you get a lot of sex slaves together, including homosexuality and pedophilia. It's the worst of the worst. And uh, there have been a lot of girls raped uh, in these Muslim gangs uh, as sex slaves, and so the English Defense League comes out and starts to really protest. Of course, it gets infiltrated by the neo-Nazis. Neo-Nazis are, of course deep state type uh, infiltrators which are meant to give anything on the right a bad name and it happened to the English Defense League and so Tommy Robinson ended up uh, leaving as leader of the English Defense League and but he still uh, basically got caught up in a contempt of court where the court issues illegal rulings that the media are not allowed to print anything about these Muslim trials nothing at all or you'll go to jail it doesn't make it a law this is a contempt of court where the judge makes the law, he makes he serves as the prosecutor and the jury, and he condemns a sentence, and that's what he did with Tommy Robinson. Well, it ended up because of the protest against his uh, being given an 18-month sentence for uh, uh, contempt of court that he, um, he basically let him out of jail on probation. And while on probation, he... Uh, he stayed behind the, the press line where, you know, he didn't violate getting closer to a certain one, but he was protesting, you know, the judicial proceedings of, uh, and the judge's silencing of the press, not letting them report on what was going on in these Muslim uh, grooming gangs. And so he immediately sends him to prison as a violation of his parole. But English law states specifically that you cannot be tried for any criminal, and this was criminal content, not just ordinary contempt. This is criminal contempt without a jury trial. He didn't have a jury trial, and this is why this is such a an egregious violation, even in English law, where a judge can send someone to prison indefinitely under criminal charges when there is no jury trial. And there is, seems to be a total media blackout in terms of covering not only the protests to free Tommy Robinson, but uh, you know, where is habeas corpus? I mean, do we even That's know, right. do, do we know where he is? Is he safe? The judge, the judge has prohibited the press from covering what he's done to Tommy Robinson. I mean, this is so outside the boundaries of English common law and English. They don't have a written constitution, but you know, you have a case law 
It violates all of those things, and yet um, everybody is fearful now of the courts being able to send any reporter to jail who covers this. So this is really bad stuff. Should we be concerned about Tommy Tommy Robinson's um, security? Is he in danger? No, I think he's too much of a public figure in order for them to actually kill him. Uh, but uh, they want to put him away so that he simply cannot be a voice. It's like Nigel Farage. I mean, he's such an effective voice when he comes out and speaks against the conservatives and the Tories and the British establishment and the government relative to their betrayal of the Brexit. They'd love to be able to get him into prison to shut him up, but they, they can't do it. But they got Tommy Robinson on these, Ill- what I think are illegal, edicts by the judge to prohibit court. Now, in the United States, we have something similar. A judge can prohibit reporters in the courtroom itself, but they have never deemed the right to be able to uh, keep reporters from publishing in the news what they find out about what happened in the trial. Finally, I want to talk about this Dutch banker, uh, this insider turned whistleblower who's uh, blowing the whistle against the uh, the globalist corruption, their control of the monetary system. But but this uh, is a real uh, damning indictment. He's talking about uh, the role they play in these uh, pedophilia, uh, satanic controlled pedophilia rings within uh, the, the, the world banking system. That's right. This is the story of Ronald Bernard, who is a Dutch banker who he came out of a very highly abused home and he found out that his parents were involved in ritual satanic abuse and part of a corrupt system uh, that runs that ends up leading into basically the British version of the deep state. And I think every country has their own version of the deep state. But in the British version, version is very, very much involved in pedophilia. That's, that and homosexuality seem to be the litmus test of whether or not you've sufficiently violated your principles to be able to be trusted into the deep state. And so often they take abused children like Ronald Bernard as a teenager coming in. He was quite bright. Got him into some good schools. He had a business acumen in uh, about 17 or 18 they got him into currency trading, and he seemed to catch on very quickly, was a wizard, and finally he was making a lot of money, and somebody approached him and said, look, would you really want to join the big times? What do you mean the big times? He says, well, you know, there's a very large group that controls international finance, and, uh, you know, come on and try it out here and uh, see how you do. And, uh, you know, from his ba- abusive background, he, he had a very dark hatred of, people and didn't mind involving in criminal acts. He basically had no regard for humanity, became a true you know, psychopath uh, for a while. But at some point, after a career going up the roads in this banking, he said, look, there's about 8,000 people involved in international banking and a part of this satanic conspiracy. And they all deal in either homosexuality or pedophilia and uh, at, and, you know, they laundered drug money. Uh, you know, that's what Afghanistan, he said, was all about. And that's what the Iron Triangle and Southeast Asia was all about, is bringing in drugs to the CIA. And the international financial community launders all that money. And I was part of it in manipulating that currency. And then he said, we laundered billions of dollars uh, printed by the Soviet Union. This was back in Soviet days. And, uh, of course, I've already told my World Affairs Brief subscribers that uh, 
the CIA gave printing press plates to the Soviet Union, and they got ruble plates so they could print rubles for their cloak and dagger operations and the but you know the the Soviets, the KGB, were printing more than just for their black operations. They were printing it out the gazoo, and it was being laundered by the international financial community and uh, as part of the uh, uh, the deep state. So he talked about a lot of things. One of the things he said, he said, just keep in mind that real criminals hate pedophiles. It's only the satanic version of this conspiracy that loves pedophilia. But real criminals will do you in if they find out you're a pedophile. I thought that was kind of interesting, and it, it uh, rings true. Right. But eventually, eventually had a conversion to Christ. Uh, it wasn't until after they actually had him do something, and he wouldn't say what, um, that he, he just couldn't do it. As bitter as he was about the world and as hateful, he couldn't do it. And he said, I'm out of here. And they let him out, believe it or not. They said, you have to give back all your money, that you've earned as part of our system, and then we'll let you out. He had a conversion to Christ, and he became a whistleblower to that, but to save his life, he said, I gave my word that I would never reveal any of the names of the people I know that are involved. And he claims that I'm gonna be true to my word, but in reality, he admitted, you know, they, they threatened to kill not only you and your wife and your children, but your entire bloodline. That's how they put the fear of evil into you, is by the threats to kill your entire bloodline. So it's a very interesting uh, video. I have the link in the World Affairs Brief. If people ask um, for the link on uh, uh, the globalist financier, Ronald Bernard, uh, I will send that to them. I think it's two weeks ago in the World Affairs Brief. But it's a fascinating interview, and he's absolutely credible. He's testifying, by the way, in this interview before the International Tribunal for Natural Justice, the EU uh, tribunal that's investigating pedophilia and sexual abuse and satanic ritual abuse. Well, that's interesting. So that could do one of two things. That could that could bring these evil forces <clears throat> down on him because he's testifying and they may be concerned he may spill the beans uh, if he's under oath. So that could be dangerous for him, but it also uh, it might lead to some potential prosecutions, or or we may have some very wealthy bankers jumping out of very high places in order to to avoid prosecution. We'll have to keep our eye on that. What do you think? Yes, yes, right. I you know it is doubtful in the sense that uh, he has said in this interview itself that I won't reveal who's who out of fear of my life. So there may not be any fear. I mean, this is the pact of immunity that is throughout this globalist conspiracy, this deep state conspiracy. They are promised immunity because they control judges. They control prosecutors. They can stop these things happening unless you do something really stupid and they can't stop it. And they they sacrifice you. But the big boys never make those kinds of big mistakes. And they have absolute immunity. Just a final, uh, we, I didn't ask you about this beforehand, and I, we had the passing, of course, of uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, a suicide. Uh, his girlfriend, Asia Argento, was one of Harvey Weinstein's alleged victims. Uh, she had some very damning things to say about Hollywood uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Anthony Bourdain, one of his last tweets, he talked about being harassed by Hillary Clinton's goons. I don't know if this is something that you've been following or care to comment on, but 
Um, Anthony Bourdain, do you think it was suicide? What do you hear? What do you know, if anything? No, I don't think it was suicide. I think he was suicided. Um, I mean, uh, he clearly had feared for his life. And, uh, uh, you know, we have numerous whistleblowers and people who have gotten too close to the truth that have suffered a similar death, uh, including one of the primary witnesses of the Vince Foster trial, uh, who was threatened with his very life by goons who turned out to be FBI agents working for the government under Ken Starr's uh, committee when he was in the witness chair. He recognized the same people who had been harassing them. So this is typical of the deep state. And believe me, uh, Hillary Clinton and her goons are part of the deep state. All right. Once again, Weinstein is remember, he hired the globalist uh, black cube, uh, uh, Mossad connected uh, intel- a private intelligence firm, which basically does dirty work uh, that even governments want to do at an arm's length. It's their version of the mafia in, in Israel. And uh, Harvey Weinstein hired those guys in order to uh, harass the potential uh, whistleblowers to his sexual harassment. So it could have been Mossad, uh, former Mossad agent Black Cube uh, people who did him in as well. Hmm. All right, Joel, once again, tell us how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief. People can go to my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, uh, or they can email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com and ask for a free sample issue. I'd be happy to send them. And I did cover in a recent edition the Black Cube as well. Well, this was an explosive edition, Joel, so uh, people uh, really should at least give it a try. I think they'll be hooked once they do. Thank you so much, my friend. All the best. My pleasure, Richard. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that, I want to share with you something I only just recently learned. Almost every diet works by temporarily putting your body into a state of ketosis. And in this state, your body burns fat for energy instead of burning carbs. But these diets ultimately fail because they allow too many carbs to be reintroduced, flipping your body's source of energy back to carbs. Want to make your body always burn fat for energy so you lose fat and keep it off? Try the Keto Diet by requesting your free copy of Bacon and Butter, the ultimate ketogenic diet cookbook. Grab a copy while supplies last. All you pay is shipping and handling. Keto Resources is making this offer to introduce you to their community of like-minded people who are on the path to looking and feeling great. But don't wait. To get your free copy of the Ketogenic Diet Cookbook, go to OneGreatSolution.com. That's OneGreatSolution.com. OneGreatSolution.com. Coming up on Episode 82... A former test pilot for advanced non-lethal psychotronic weaponry speaks out. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.